I'm Eamon. I'm Merlin. And we're gay. And his NB. Episode three, right into your ear holes. We're glad to be back here for another episode of A Gay and His NB. Another very cold, uh, wintry day here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Excited to talk to you about so many great things on television this week. Absolutely. We've got a lot of good stuff coming to you this week. Uh, of course, we've got the first episode of the Salt Lake City Reunion. Uh, we have the newest episode of uh, Housewives of Potomac. And we've got the newest episode of uh, Housewives of Miami. So a lot of good Bravo-centered uh, content for you today. But first... As we always do. As always, we have the newest episode of RuPaul's Drag Race, Season 15, Episode 4, Snatch Game. An early, early Snatch Game, as we mentioned before in previous weeks. I will say, I think our worries about how this was going to turn out, it was better than I expected. We didn't get any of our workroom stuff, which is, you know, kind of um, essential to building the um the relationship between the viewer and the queens um so i didn't like that we didn't get any of that stuff plus you know i i really like to watch rue try to gaslight people into changing their snatch game character last minute we'll get into that i i'm not as big a fan of that definitely but i also think that led to an actually pretty decent snatch game this oh no around. i think that it's awful that she does it right. i enjoy watching it though i yeah and i think over they cut like you mentioned they kind of cut everything around the episode except for snatch game i would say yep no mini challenge this week um, there we was went, a certain point with like the confessionals of uh, where it was just like they were breezing it by so quickly to where it's like you can't even like get like it's just like well I'm really nervous and I'm really excited and th- and it was just like one after the other and it was oh yeah I think we clocked it in that the first snatch game started twelve minutes into the episode they were like we are not playing around like holy crap but don't worry because obviously with the success of Real Friends of WeHo I mean it was really <laughs> worth it oh. <laughs> uh, we won't get into it. We th- we're trying to be better people and not rant about this that mm. stupid, stupid show. Um, oh, speak for yourself. So we start off the show, as you mentioned. Uh, there's a little stuff in the workroom. Obviously, Amethyst coming in with her from her second time in the bottom. There's a lot of pressure on her. <laughs> the fact that Amethyst is just like, um, I'm just, I'm just surprised that I'm here. And I think Selena went us too. <laughs> The shade is not um, turned down just because we are um, shorter on our episode time. Yeah, but like you said, they kind of breezed through everything in the workroom really quickly. There was no discussion. There was no, hey, you know, this sort of well-thought-out character that you've been planning for months before coming on the show. Throw that out and just be this random person because I'm telling you to. Um, But it did lead to a good Snatch game. Uh, And like you uh, had mentioned last week, they divided it up into two different snatch games with seven people each. I feel like they kind of also saw the success of what happened on All-Stars uh, this past season where they did two separate snatch games with each person playing two different characters. Yeah, so that where, worked. To where they could kind of be like, okay, we can do this, but just, you know, in a sort of different format. Um, this was a, I would say overall, a really good snatch game. I, I don't think the people who were bad while they, yes, were bad, I didn't think there was like some exponential dud in the group. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll go through it. Not in the first one. 
No, the first one was really good. So who do we have in the in the first group? Uh, in the first group, we had Marsha, Marsha, Marsha playing Tim Gunn. We had uh, Luxnor London playing um, Amanda Lepore. Uh, Malaysia baby doll, baby doll, baby doll fox uh, as Saucy Santana. We had Mistress Isabel Brooks as Rosie O'Donnell. Um, Anitra as Gordina Ramsey. Um, Robin Fierce as Karen Huger, our beloved uh, Grand Dame. From, what a crossover! Uh, we'll get, we'll get into that one. That one. That one almost upset me, upset me more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, uh, we had Selena Titties as Virgin Mary. I think everyone made smart choices. I would say, all, and with for the most part, I would say with the second group as well, everyone made smart choices. I didn't see any choice where I was like, no, that's, a re- that's not a good choice necessarily for <sighs> in concept. Like... Like okay, let's talk. Like before they got to the snatch game, as opposed or like and as in as far as selecting their character. Yeah, like yeah, that was yeah, that was great. Like Selena as titties, for example. Like I think the concept of what she wanted to do was a good idea. I think being the Virgin Mary as a slut is a is a funny concept. I mean, it's been done. Uh, not on not on um, snatch game, but it's. I mean, it's not. A new concept. Yeah, it's like, yeah, th- at least you thought through it some way. I think you could almost see the worry on her face when things weren't being laughed at, that she needed to go bigger. And yes, I, you know, was it the most successful? No. I don't think it was outright terrible. No, know? it was just chaotic. It was more chaotic than what Rue wants on Snatch Game, so that's why it wasn't um, super successful in that regard, but right. it definitely wasn't the worst. Can we also get to Robin Fierce's Karen Huger? Because I had so many thoughts. So, in my opinion. Yes. Um, and um, you know I've got one. Um, her Karen was factually good. Yes. She like, knew- she knew her character. She had her research down. She knew she was from Surrey County, honey. That her marriage is an institution. <laughs> institution. She knew who she was talking about, right? She would be... A great Karen Huger in the biopic. Yes, I would say that. Um, however, a Karen Huger on Snatch Game. I think Karen is a good character for Snatch Game, but you have to really get those jokes in. And I think her jokes, the, the, the funny Karen Huger moments actually work well in terms of Snatch Game. But I just felt like there was no mention of a hot box. Right. And being a drag queen doing Karen Huger is the pristine opportunity to do the wig shift scene. Oh, and, completely. Which is, argu- you know, arguably, I think it's my top five funniest housewife scene of all time across the housewives. Really? Room. I love that scene. Oh, hold up, damn it. Hold up. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. But uh, Karen is a great character that just wasn't executed in the, in the sort of funny way that it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, to some of the good ones on this uh, round of Snatch Game, um, obviously, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha did a really good Tim Gunn. I think Tim Gunn's such a smart choice overall. Oh, completely. Yeah. Like, he's, he's a character that, like, even, not even as a character, as a person, he would be great on, like, Match Game, right? Yeah. If you were to put him in the, the original version of this game, he would excel amazingly well. So, I mean, to, to bring him here... Um, makes total sense. I think across the board, when you pick a naturally funny person, it helps a, a lot in the sense that 
you can just say anything that they would possibly say. It doesn't have to follow such a rigid guideline. Right. Um, and I think that worked well with her. I also think it worked well with um, Mistress Isabel Brooks, who did Rosie O'Donnell. I would, Fabulous. And wrote that line of like, we've seen sometimes of Snatch Game where it's like, you're kind of just doing you as a drag queen. Right. But I think war- was a smart enough choice. She definitely was playing... Um, View era Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, completely. In the words of Rosie, big fat lesbian Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then the fact that she made that comment about, I'm not sure if I'm Rosie O'Donnell or Abby, Abby Lee Miller. Miller. <laughs> but no, she did a really good job. I think it was a good week for Mistress, too, because she's been, you know, kind of sort of middle of the pack, but I think was so quick on on her feet in terms of especially the dialogue with Rue. Completely. Were there any other uh, big standouts for you from uh, this first group? Um, not really. I mean, um, everybody looked good, um, but I didn't really think that anyone else stood out. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the only person that I would say is was bad as far as snatch game goes was. Uh, Robin as Karen Huger. Sure. Um, but again, it was a good and an acting challenge that would have been great. But in Snatch Game, it just didn't land. Absolutely. So moving on to our second group, uh, these one. This was the group that I would say definitely had some of the worst ones of the night. Oh um, yeah. But who did we have for the second group? Uh, in the second group, we had Lucy Laduca as Joan Rivers. We had Sasha Colby as Jan Crouch. We had Jax as the Mona Lisa. We had Sugar as Trisha Paytas, uh, Amethyst as Tan Mom, uh, Spice as Miley Cyrus, and Aura Maori as Bretman Rock. Yeah, I think, uh, obviously, the Lucy LaDuca took this one completely uh, of this group, obviously, but spoiler alert of the whole competition. Uh, really great Joan Rivers. I think Joan Rivers is someone that probably gets thrown out a lot, but there's, you know... I think there's a lot of people that could say they do a good Joan Rivers and not, but she had everything down perfectly. She kind of also looked like Margaret Joseph more than Joan Rivers. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. I was definitely getting that, but, 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 you know, who's to to say those aren't the same person? uh, Yeah. I mean, fair. Um, I will also say that, um, Jax's intro line (laughs) with the tongue out from the Mona Lisa was, uh, they didn't show a lot of Jax in the Snatch Game, but at least they got her that one moment. That and one moment is, like, meme-worthy. It's beautiful. It's uh, fabulous. And it was, you know, I don't think a lot of people expected her to do maybe as well yeah. uh, in Snatch Game, but it was good to see how, like, the show you have some kind of comedic timing at the right. end of the day. And I also thought Amethyst did really well as Tan Mom. I thought she had good gags. The, you know, the or- spraying painting the card orange because she didn't like how white it was. Right, right. <laughs> I I thought she thought it throughout really well. And again, it wasn't like, you don't have to, some people get so caught up in the impersonation of it. It wasn't an exactly perfect tan mom. If you've seen like footage. I have no clue who that character is, but I I was at least able to be entertained. It's kind of a decades old character. So it was, I, what was that? Like 2010, she was in the news. So Uh, no clue, but it's, it, you know, it was a good choice on her part. Um, I will say that as this um, this snatch game definitely had the best performances, it also had the worst. Yeah, so that bottom row, I would definitely say, was other struggling than um, a lot. other than Amethyst. That bottom row was 
Oof. Yeah, Sugar and Spice as Trisha Paytas and Miley Cyrus. Uh, I think, I honestly almost think Spice did a little better. At least she thought through some. I know people were saying like her like basically turning into Goofy at one point and like was at least funny in how awkward it was. And yeah. I, and I get that. Um, I'm just kind of. To be fair, Miley has had those eras where she basically was goofy. <laughs> right, but I feel like, a de- again, that seems like decades ago. And I yeah. feel like that joke's kind of been overdone in terms of... I mean, that the era that she was referencing was the first after she got out of her country phase. When yeah. she, like, obviously the outfit that she was wearing was from the uh, concert with Robin Thicke. Um, and even before that, she was giving more like Hannah Montana era vibe with the sort of when her she was the brunette with the sort of like right thing through the hair and all that. Like, uh, as entertaining as that era of Miley is, I really do consider. I mean, this is probably not Snatch Game um, related, but I really do find today's era of Miley so much more intriguing. Yeah. And I would have been interested to see how she were to portray a more serious character on Snatch Game. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but I I think modern Miley would have done well on Snatch Game as well. Sure. I think you have to be really smart to sort of pull something like that Even if she was making fun of her previous self, like that would have been a Miley thing to do and still would have... I think paid like homage to the growth that Miley has had. Yeah. I don't know. And then with, I would say both with sugar and with aura Maori. I, when, why who even was Aura Maori? Who is Bretman Rock? I have who no clue. I, I never felt older than trying to figure <laughs> out who Bretman Rock was, and I'm not even 30 yet. So that's a problem. Um, but from what, like, I just Googled him, and he's like, he looks like a sort because Aura said she picked him because he's Filipino. He just kind of seemed like a Filipino James Charles. And I was like, that, why are we picking these TikTok stars? And like, Trisha Paytas, I think, made a little more sense. But again, I think... Well, but Trisha Paytas is also, like, expanded outside. Like, she's been on reality television. She's, like, been all over the news. Ain't nobody ever heard of Bretman, especially RuPaul. Ain't never heard of RuPaul. RuPaul definitely was doing a great acting job trying to act like she knew. RuPaul barely knew who Miley Cyrus was. (laughs) Let's be real. RuPaul didn't know who the last winner of All Stars name was. (laughs) Are we surprised? But like Sugar's Trisha Paytas was kind of just Sugar's character that she's been playing these last couple seasons. Which to me, when I think of Trisha, I think of the fast talking. I think of like the. You know, and there was really none of that. You know. And and like um, like Michelle says later yes. uh, in the in the episode during judging, like Trisha Paytas is known for her mukbangs, right? So like she should have had a smorgasbord of food that changed every time that that the camera came to her. Which I think was an interesting thing for Michelle to say because all the scuttlebutt if you follow like insider tea from drag race is that Rue hates eating. Like like on Snatch Game in particular. I think there was all but this. But if like, she made a bit out of it and like it Rue could have at least laughed about that. And she has laughed at other characters who have eaten things on yeah. Snatch Game. Like it wouldn't be the first time that someone did well at Snatch Game having food. So, right. I mean. But I think, yeah. 
I think it was pretty clear where th- things sort of shook up from that snatch game. Um, we go back into the workroom the next day. The one thing, even though we're cutting down time when it comes to getting this into a 40-minute episode, they definitely have to include a sob story every episode. I mean, that's... Oh, yeah. I feel like go- it's contractually obligated at this point. Well, I mean, you've got to have um, funny haha violins... And then funny haha, and then someone goes home. Yes, that's how the episode goes. It's a, it's literally a math formula at this point. Yeah. Um. But we talk uh, here from Lucy, sort of talking about her past, about being gay bashed as a young kid. Which, I, I mean, the fact that she said like literally she was gay bashed by another student, and like teachers were like laughing, Jeez. and how triggering that was. It's just like what is wrong with people? Anyways, it's it, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I know that that you grew up very differently than I did. Yes. But um yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um it, I had some awful, awful, awful school experiences. So I mean, and that was before I even knew anything about myself in that regard. So I mean it's just it, it's ridiculous, but it totally tracks. Adults are terrible. But uh moving on to the runway and um before we get to the judging, um the uh, theme for the runway was uh, Beautiful Nightmare, uh, which I'm shocked that they didn't use that as the lip sync song. You can be a sweet Hey, have, we cannot afford we that We don't have song. the rights. We don't have the rights. Um, were there any standouts for you from the runway? Well, yes. There were, I, I think we both agreed that um, the biggest standout was Sasha Colby. Absolutely. Um, and if you want to hear our opinions on um, at least, you know, who we thought did well and who we thought was less successful on the runway uh definitely go check out our toot and boot video it went out on uh wednesday um so you can check that out on all the places but just so be like the bodysuit the the aesthetic the the makeup everything about sasha colby is just like absolute perfection in everything she does and you had a kind of i think the problem with this runway you we saw a lot of sort of costumey looks yeah. Um, naturally, like very Halloween costume. And this was so professionally done and so well executed. Uh, I also wanted to shout out Amethyst's look on the runway, which I literally screamed as she came out as. This was such a like gay cultural moment for me, this yeah. Lady Gaga VMA performance. I know some people online have been like, well, it could have been executed a little better. And I, and I see their point. But there was just like, I still remember like as a young kid, like, at night watching that VMA performance and just being in awe of what I was seeing. Like, Oh yeah. It's, I feel like we talk about like special moments in gay culture. It's, it's so, so important. And so um, transformational, I would say for a lot of people. Um, we get to the judging, uh, the tops, as we mentioned, are Marsha, Mr. Isabel Brooks and Lucy LaDuca. And in the bottom we had sugar spice and or Mayari, and oh, the judges again critiquing Marsha for her makeup, which I found just like she literally had a very like you know multicolored like put together eye, and it was just like still not enough. They're not going to be happy until she takes an actual chisel to her face and like carves out an entirely new like. I, I'm sorry, you want to critique her on her makeup, and yet she completely looked like a different person in snatch game like the girl has skills it's like it just doesn't like make she looked exactly like tim gunn and it's not like she looks like tim gunn out of drag like that was work yeah and i feel like it's just kind of telegraphing at this point of terms of like 
you can see with with the judges' critiques who they want to get to the end and who they don't, and you know, which but, is is not a testament to the ones that they do because they are also usually very great. And I think it's, but it's just like, why are we still harping on this? She's clearly, at the very least, you can see that she is making improvements. Right. Anyone with an eye can see that this person has adding more makeup into their look. Right. Anyways. Um, but then uh, Lucy LaDuca wins Snatch Game. I think it was the right choice. I was kind of between her and Mistress. Yeah. And um, then uh, in the bottom, oh no, Sugar and Spice are in the bottom too. Who would have ever guessed it? I mean, we knew it was going to happen. I had it pegged for episode six, but, you know, episode four is not far off. And honestly, I don't think th- I this this was definitely a lot of producer shenanigans because Aura definitely did the worst. I mean, you can make the argument that Aura's look saved her, which her look was on the runway was very good with right. the sort of exposed I mean, spine. and both Sugar and Spice walked out there and, you know, Leg Avenue, Spirit Halloween, lo- they, like literally looked like they just shook it out of a bag and put it on. Yeah, it wasn't that. They didn't even do it. There weren't even rhinestones. It was just oh. straight out of the bag. And you were shocked the fact that they didn't even critique them on the fact that the, the similar looks. This is the first time they really got actual direct critiques from the judges. And they didn't even mention the whole, you guys are basically in coordinating looks. Well, they knew they were going to send one home anyway, so it didn't matter. Or it got cut. I mean, it could have got cut for time, but like at that point, if you know you're putting those two in the bottom two, why does it matter to critique them on that? That's fair. Because one of them's going home and it's not going to be an issue anymore. Well, we could have gotten a double save that everyone was saying that we should have gotten. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. So we get to the lip sync. And, and the lip sync song is uh, You Better Run by Pat Benatar. It's choreographed. They choreographed. They're lip sync. And what I find funny is that they they bothered to choreograph the lip sync knowing that they would end up in the bottom two together at some point because sure. they know how production works. I mean, they're at least that smart. Well, in, in Untucked, they were kind of talking about like, well, either we both stay or if one of us gets eliminated, we're both going to go home or whatever. And they kind of get talked down from it. But like, I... Yeah, and people could make the argument that there have been, while we may not have directly seen it, choreographed lip sync in the past. Like, did Raven and Jujubee decide that they were going to do what they did during the Robin lip sync on the first All-Stars? I mean, did- maybe, but I mean, there's a very clear difference between, oh, so at some point, you know, we're just going to start crying and then we'll hug each other in the middle of the runway, which is basically what happened right. in that lip sync, as opposed to literally a count for count choreographing of. The lip sync. How many songs did they lip? Did they choreograph? That's like well, if it had been a different lip sync song, would it have been the same lip sync from them, or would it have been a different choreographed routine? I don't know how extensively they really went into it. I mean, it's possible, but at, well, I would like to think that they prepared in some way for the competition because they didn't prepare their runway looks. Well, well, I mean, but you were saying last week they went into it with this idea that we're going to stay as twins sort of throughout the competition. And I think that's valid episode one. And beyond that, like you said last week, you have to differentiate yourself. And the only reason one of them necessarily went home from this lip sync, the only like thing that the judges could base it on was the fact that one of them tripped twice yeah. <laughs> during the lip sync. So Sugar ends up if going you home. Can't, Dance in platforms, don't lip sync in platforms. Yeah, I don't think I you were getting a lot because we were watching it on uh, on a delay, 
and you were getting tweets in about how bad the lip sync was before it, it happened. But the thing is, is that people are completely divided on this. Either oh, they yes. love the lip sync and thought it should have been a double Shantae, which is outrageous, or they were like, this was trash and should have been I think what a double it, sachet. I think what it is... Is that which I would have sent both of them because I, I felt I agree. I feel like this whole time this season, I feel like I've been crazy seeing the praise of Sugar and Spice online. And this is not a knock on them, they seem like great queens, they seem like good people, you know, they have a great aesthetic. I, I'm definitely interested to see what because uh, Mistress has adopted them yes. as drag children, so I am very interested to see how they develop in the future. and you know, if one of them gets on All Stars, they'll cast both of them. Right. So we'll get them back on at some point, and you know they won't miss out on an opportunity to cash in on that. But I feel like you know I was kind of ripping my hair out of like, why am I seeing something different than everyone else on like Twitter when I like look at the Drag Race hashtag? And I think what it is is that the Sugar and Spice audience that they've kind of curated on TikTok isn't necessarily the Drag Race audience. Right. And they've been pulled in. They're probably watching the show for the very first time or, you know, they may have had some past knowledge of it. But I think that's a lot of what the following is based on. I could be wrong. Um, maybe I'm just crazy. Um, but as I mentioned, Sugar goes home. Sad moment. Um, <laughs> nothing like seeing someone cry in, like, a pink wig and, like, baby doll makeup. <laughs> just that yeah. visual and that... Uh, dichotomy is interesting um but yes we're down to 13 queens i believe yeah got a still a long way to go and spice is going to try to fight on their own i think you know maybe spice can make it to the end i think it's possible i think the judges liked sugar and spice yeah i i don't i don't know um, and next week as we have learned via the previews we are going to end up with a mini challenge the library is open. Yes, we'll see how that goes. With 13 queens? Ooh. <laughs> it's, uh, libraries in the past have been a choice. I want to see, I'm, in, I'm interested in seeing how this goes. Yeah. Um, but we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then when we come back, we're going to get into everything that's going on this week with Real Housewives, starting with the Salt Lake City Reunion Part 1. Well, hello, friends. I'm your pal in the mainstream media. And, and you know, I'm the Riz. And, and you know, Riz, it takes years of strenuous, dedicated training before you're worthy to step inside a professional wrestling ring. But it takes even more time to develop complex, highly astute opinions about professional wrestling. Am I right? That is correct. Yes. And you know where we can find that? Yes. On the wrestling man. That's right. Sidekick Media Services. We are your sidekick in business for social media, video production, and more. Find out more at SidekickMediaServices.com. Welcome back to Again His NB. Uh, we are now up with Real Housewives of Salt Lake City Reunion Part 1. Three-part reunion. That's a choice. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I don't know if this needed three parts. I yeah. mean, I get that there's still a little bit that we need to touch on um, in the next next week's episode. Uh, some people's, like, sort of personal stories, and I'm sure they're going to get into more of the Jen stuff. They only kind of touched on it in the beginning. I mean, from the fact that it's, it's, it's awkward in the fact that Jen's not there. 
and she's refusing to do the sit down. But don't if you guys, if you want the real story, <laughs> if you want the real, true, and honest story from Jennifer Shaw about why she defrauded all those people, all you have to do is give her her email your uh, email address to her at realgenshaw.com, which she launched right before the the reunion aired. I. Uh, yeah, I, well, what I is don't, she thinking? Yeah, I don't see how that's a bad idea. How that could end poorly for you? Um, is the judge like, like like she literally ran a scam where she sold people's email addresses to to people to get them to buy onto the like? like why am I giving you your, my email address? I'm not. But also in just all of her statements about why she wouldn't do the reunion and why she wouldn't do the interview with Danny Cohen, it's just like I need to tell my story. Girl, do an Instagram live. Yeah. Like, like this, it's just ridiculous. You're going, she's going to prison in about a month, I think, right? In February. February 17th. So, like, you don't have much time left. Um, get it out there. But yeah, so we get into the uh, first part of the Salt Lake City reunion. This, this bit with the Sprinter van in the beginning oh, was such a choice. And, they they had to make up for how awesome the set was because that set was beautiful. It was very pretty. You're you're a big fan of that. I'm kind a of big fan of like the big gothic churches and the um you know stained glass windows and all of that stuff. Gorgeous aesthetic. And then they did it like distressed and like snow everywhere. Stunningly beautiful set. Like they kill it. I mean, I, the Salt Lake vibe kind of aids to this, but they've been always, they've always had good sets for Salt Lake. Yeah, but uh, they made up for the wonderful set with the awful idea of doing the Sprinter fan entrance. And <laughs> Meredith said, "What we were all thinking is, I think we've spent enough time in Sprinter fans." Well, it was so <laughs> awkward because they didn't have a bit planned. They were just kind of like, "Yeah, we're gonna get out the Sprinter van yeah. now." It. I don't. I also don't know about you. Uh, did Andy seem? over at this reunion oh completely he seemed like so he was very much i think voyeuristic in terms of like what the audience was feeling well and it it definitely feeds into the rumors that have been going around that they're com they're completely shaking up this cast for next season yeah um because if andy is not emotionally invested in any of these people's storylines i can't imagine that they last my i would say if they my prediction is if they keep somebody it's Lisa and um, Whitney and Whitney will be a friend of my thing is though like I feel like are, are you gonna get anything different like looking around Salt Lake for other housewives probably not I feel like it's just like baked into the city could be like there's a vibe of them where it's just a lot of like nothing feels sort of like real and lived and like I obviously these are people of wealth, so you're gonna get you know it's not gonna be like average everyday Americans, but it's like there's no like there's no grit to these people. No, and I think some of that comes with um, just because it is a city that is pretty much entirely entrenched in the Mormon Church. Which I'm not gonna knock the Norman the Mormon Church. I don't know enough about it to accurately criticize it, but when you have um, what is pretty much a theocracy yeah. going on in that city, um, you're going to get pretty much the same people. You're either going to get people in the church or you're going to get pariahs that are on the outside of the church. And that's what the stories are going to be. It's just going to be a rehashing of everything we've had before. 
And I also rinse and repeat. I also think you know Whitney said when they were in like the the makeup trucks or whatever she was said because I think Andy asked something about like what do you think the other side of the couch is gonna bring and she said like oh what I expect you know victimhood and that they're gonna be martyrs and I just thought like but isn't that everyone on this cast right now like I feel mm-hmm. and extending even to the friends of like there's no everyone's sort of like this big giant martyr to where they don't really. Even and I I'm a big Lisa Barlow fan and a Lisa Barlow apologist, but she sometimes falls into that same issue where it's just like not everything is this serious. Like yeah. when everything it's it's like kind of like a wrestling metaphor. When everything is done to the top level a hundred percent of the time, and you know the big things don't actually matter. So it's like, I don't, I don't care why you're fighting over this whole SEC filing thing. And I don't care why you're fighting over, like, I don't know. But also, um, spoiler alert to anyone who didn't know this. We're actually huge wrestling fans, too. It's basically man drag. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's a great way to put it. I mean, for the most part, they're putting on big characters and doing a show in front of a live audience. It's a drag show, yes, Mary. We, we definitely also encourage everyone listening to uh, also go check out the Wrestling Mayhem show over on Sorgatron Media, fellow Sorgatron Media Network partner. Um and yeah, we may be talking about that in the future too as well. So be on the lookout for that. But um, so there's a little talk about Jen in the beginning, the fact that Jen's not there because her lawyers said to not come. They ask about um, switching their plea, uh, her switching her plea. It also, it's just crazy that like other than Lisa, it doesn't feel like any of them are still willing to just be like, what the fuck, Jen? Like, why did, yeah. why did you string us along for this long? Heather is still very ride or die and just like, I didn't feel upset at all. I was just worried about her family. Heather reveals that Jen was the first to like Jen right before she plead called her and told her she was going to plead like 30 minutes before, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, but then we get into the sort of drama that's happening between Meredith and Lisa this season. So Meredith, uh, as a shock to me, because she hasn't expressed this at all during the season, Meredith apparently isn't super upset about the hot mic moment which seems suspicious she's just she's so adamant she's like i got over it i got i just got over it it's just like okay whatever. no i was angry because you unfollowed me on instagram and you wouldn't let me watch your stories and then you posted a text message where you had actually said something to me when my father died as opposed to the story that i was telling that was that you didn't say anything about I don't know. Well, she also was saying, like, I was offended that she blocked me on Instagram or whatever because I felt like coming out of Arizona, we were on neutral ground. Lisa was, like, fuming at you because you were, according to Whitney, uh, spreading rumors about her and getting placement for Vita Tequila. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm still... You're mad because someone blocked you on Instagram. Didn't even block you. Unfollowed her, removed yeah. her as a follower, didn't even unfollow Meredith. She removed Meredith from her followers. When okay. Meredith, for like the first half of the season, like wanted nothing to do with Lisa and was avoiding her in like public events and stuff like that. So it's like. So you're more mad about Instagram and a text message that got posted than you were about her saying you slept with half of New York? I just don't get it. And she ends up, Meredith does apologize. She said, even if it wasn't my intention, I shouldn't have said anything about rumors about you. And she apologizes and Lisa accepts it. 
Um, and then there's also the debate about they, you know, Whitney's trying to differentiate, like trying to clear up this whole thing of what happened in Arizona and who said what rumor and whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like I, I lost the plot at some point. I had to watch this episode back to figure uh, so out did I. what the hell everyone was talking about, as if like Whitney harping on this idea that like. Well, Heather spun it around and said blowjobs for jazz tickets. I just said she had sex, or I just said that the rumor was that she had sex with a guy for jazz tickets. Okay, what's the difference? I guess the difference is that, like, and I I think we had mentioned this before, but, like, sex implies, like... Intimacy? Intimacy or romance, and, like, like a blowy for it is more like you're a whore. I, I guess could be the implication, which like, first of all, if she is giving blowjobs for jazz tickets, good for her. Girl, you might get, as well get paid for doing a blowjob for somebody you don't even like. <laughs> but then we get uh, this, uh, this section also, then we get into sort of Lisa's side of spreading rumors. And Andy asked that, you know, on the beach in, in San Diego or yeah, San Diego, um, you implied that Meredith pops pills. <laughs> And, and, and Lisa's like, yes, I said that because Jen told me they did K once. <laughs> and, it was and so like, then Meredith pulls out her phone and calls Jen. To like validate this story. It was like Jen couldn't be at the reunion and couldn't be on the couch and talk with everybody about what happened this season. But we can still call her and she'll answer the phone knowing full well where I am and why I'm calling Isn't her. Isn't that almost worse than what Diana did on Beverly Hills? Oh yeah, who was totally sick? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Diana, please don't sue me, because um, <laughs> she's one to do that. But like, they get into this debate about whether or not Meredith did Ken. <laughs> at one point, uh, what did Heather? Heather just says at one point, everyone knows what special K is. <laughs> everyone I mean, does it. Everybody know what special K is. I'm sure Andy does. <laughs> if you ask uh, Kathy Griffin. Uh, um, but we'll go, we won't get into that. We're never going on uh, Watch What Happens Live, are we? No. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Lisa says that Jen said this. Jen says she didn't say it. And now we don't know who to believe. You know, because <laughs> if there's anything that's, you know, a clear sign of truth, it's Jen Shaw. Yeah. Uh, um, and the best line of the entire reunion is, why are you trusting her, the woman who lied and is going to prison for lying over me it's why that's my lisa is a gem she is a national treasure this is why i i thought lisa did great this reunion honestly for the most part it was a little you know there were a couple moments that were a little missed but like there's all this dialogue online i don't know if you've seen about the whole because there's all this stuff that's been happening now on social media of angie k and like her taking a picture with that guy that had the white lives matter t-shirt and then people finding out that Lisa also followed him on Instagram and Lisa's getting dragged all over online. Here's my thing. And, and I'm, I'm going to maybe rant just a little bit because Jen keeps bringing this up in social media posts as well of like, Oh, Lisa Barlow supported Ted Cruz and has back Ted Cruz's campaign. And Lisa's a racist. Jen and- has made some really, really, she said some really, fucked up shit in the past and i um, just so she has no room to talk and i just think like really we're like take we're rah rah cheering this like criminal who defrauded people because here's 
it's the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, guys. They're all Republicans. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah. they're, like it's the same with Orange County. Like, I, I don't go into the show expecting that everyone is of that ilk. And it doesn't mean that I have to like that they're of that ilk. But it also, you know, means that I can still enjoy them on this television show. I also, just, I don't think they all are on either of those shows. But for the most part, you're right. Like, whoever they get from those areas are most likely gonna be like we know how that area votes i mean come on and i obviously there's certain like what happened with jenny last season absolutely was too far crossing the line it was like those facebook posts go past like yeah anything in terms of like just decency um for your own sanity if you don't know about that don't look it up because it's atrocious but it's just like i don't know what people are expecting at this point from the real housewives of salt lake city it's it's just crazy to me but anyways um Lisa is like, you know, they kind of try to get to a conclusion with Meredith and Lisa and Lisa's crying and Lisa's cry. I don't know why Lisa's crying always makes me laugh. <laughs> She's just like, it's just when you bring up John and you brought John in, it's my whole life. And it's just like, oh my God. Jeez. Uh, but then, um, so the friends of then come out, Angie K, Angie H, Dana. Um, and we get into some of the more stuff with there. We see more of, um, the fight that got cut from the finale between Dana mm-hmm. and Jen. Um, Which, why they didn't put in that, that in the finale, I have no clue. I think it's because with the way Dana explained why the fight happened, like they didn't really have any of those moments for context in the season. Because oh, Dana yeah. said... Dana says that like Jen was making fun of where she lived or whatever, which oh, okay. Uh, further bigotry. <laughs> well, but also, what is she talking about? And I don't know anything about like the makeup of Salt Lake City. Like she, it seemed like she was like, oh, I live in like the countryside. Like I don't. It just seems it's weird. It's just any way to shade somebody. I mean, and then she was saying, oh, and Dana kind of elaborated on her Instagram too about like how like she was felt that Jen was making fun of her husband's name, who's Hispanic, and like intentionally getting it wrong, like um, just throwing out random Hispanic um, names. Hispanic names. Which, yeah, I can understand that's you know not okay. Um, and that fight happens. I think they, I I didn't mind Dana this season. I think. I do agree with some people who think that her reads are a little like rehearsed. Like she definitely like is thinking through like everything that she's going to say before she says it. But I mean, in fairness, that's the case with, I think a lot of the women on this show. Yeah. So she's in good company. Um, and then they talked to Angie H about some more of this whole, like whether or not she told Whitney about blowies for jazz tickets. Um, she brings up that, I guess like, her husband and John Barlow got into like a screaming match or whatever at a jazz game. And yeah. And, and John almost got taken out like by security. I don't. And it was just like, she, but this is the part where I think Lisa was right on point, which was Angie tries to be like, well, he was screaming in front of your kids or whatever, Lisa. And Lisa's like, don't, you know, try to, you know, character, you know, attack my husband. And when Angie tries to fire back with that, Lisa's just like, your husband literally created a fake Instagram account to attack me. What are you talking about? I can attack his character as much as he wants, which yes, I think that's just, you know, yeah. And then there's debate as to whether Lisa, um, makes Instagram accounts in the same way to go after Meredith and go after Angie, which I think has been discussed a couple times um, in the last couple seasons. But there's been no receipts brought. So, I mean, I, yeah, it's, there was all this stuff. Prove on, it or shut up, you know? So they also post on, um, if you follow Bravo, they also do the after shows after each episode as well as the reunion. And there's all this talk about like, 
like you said, the receipt, you know, Lisa's doing all this stuff on social media with fake accounts that, um, I think Angie H says at one point that she said my transgender son wasn't transgender or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, where is any of this on the reunion? Like you didn't bring us a receipt. Yeah. And that brings us to something that you had mentioned, um, you know, offline um, earlier is why, why are these moments not getting caught on camera? What is the production doing that they are not filming these women twenty four seven? Is it not in the contracts? Like, I, from my clear understanding of like reality TV contracts, is that they're pretty extensive in terms of like when they have to film people and how ex- extensively they can film people. I mean, I guess it depends on whether you're in on this type of reality show or something like Big Brother, where there's sure. literally cameras on all the time, or Survivor or something like that, where but you're in a controlled environment. Um, but it's different when you're in a city and you're like living at home and like there's families involved and, you know, there's private businesses that, you know, can or uh, won't allow filming or yeah. whatever, all those things. It's just, I feel like we're getting in a lot in Housewives lately. Like we saw it with Beverly Hills where they couldn't get into the Caribou Club. We saw it with, um, we're seeing it with Potomac a lot this season. Yeah. Like, I just don't understand why they don't have cameras in there, but that's besides the point. Um. Then we go to Angie K to sort of talk about the issues with Jen um, and Jen pouring champagne on her, which at this point, yes, it was bad. Like I, I understand it was, you know, and Jen was not joking. Let's stop. You know. Yeah. It, it wasn't funny. Like if and it I was, was embarrassing, but at this point it's like, we're harping. Like this would have been what three, this reunion is like three months after filming or some, you know, why but is I, Angie still upset about this? I can also understand though if the if the um the abusive behavior was as extensive as Angie was saying. Sure. Then I can understand why that seemingly small thing, while not good, right? It's still small. But I can see why that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And, I, and she's like, you're not just doing this in private anymore. You're literally embarrassing me and humiliating me in public on national television. Literally, fuck you. Yeah. I also get that Meredith, I do think Meredith and Heather were kind of minimizing it and like, yeah. you know, and making a joke out of it. Um, and then Angie brings up the fact that, because, um, oh, the topic comes up about why she told Lisa about how they were talking about her SEC filing in the Sprinter van or whatever. And Angie says she did this because um, Jen had been texting her and having conversations with her, um, trashing Heather and trashing Heather's business um, pretty extensively. And she basically saw that being a repeat in the sprinter van, but to the opposite direction against Lisa and decided to call it out. And the way that Heather is just like, I mean, yeah, that sounds like Jen, but you know, Hey, whatever. It's just like Heather girl, stand up for yourself. Why are you still backing this woman? At this point, at this point, she's not even denying the abuse or denying the BS. It's she's literally going, well, that's the cost of being a friend of Jen. And so, like, you just have to kind of put up with it. And it's like, no, no, you actually don't. Well, also, you, you could say, fuck you and walk away. But also, she's going to jail. You don't have to put up with anymore. You have an out at this point. For six and a half years, you do not have to see her for half a decade. And it's just like, I don't understand why 
Heather can't just you know, like stand on her own. But getting to Heather, then we get into the big part of this uh, reunion. Which, which is, I don't know why we dedicated so much time to this. Because it's the biggest cliffhanger of the season. And the fact that the ended so is like stupid. this. So we get to Black Eye Gate. And um, Heather finally says that she doesn't remember what happened to her. That she blacked out drunk. I call bullshit. Oh, but you were saying when at the time that you kind of believed her a little bit more. I believe the reasoning that she was giving, and I believe that those are valid reasons. I do not believe that she doesn't remember, especially now, okay. months after the fact. I do not believe at this moment that she does not remember that Jen punched her in the motherfucking eye. Like, I, I completely believe that, that Jen hit her. I, I think that Heather got mad about Jen saying some snarky something and because she was drunk she was braver than usual and she stood up for herself and Jen smacked her that's what I think and maybe maybe that's not what happened um I wasn't there obviously I don't have proof that that's what happened but that's my theory yeah and I think you resonated more with what she said about sort of like the Mormon shame of like drinking and blacking out and stuff oh like yeah that, which yes I think is a is something that is reasonable in terms of what we know of Heather. I just think like we've had this whole cliffhanger this whole season and she's been going in interviews and on the after shows, like still being like, well, I know who it is, but I'm not going to say. And like, like saying people, Oh, buy um, bad Mormon. Cause I'll f- tell you in the book, you know what happened. Yeah. It just feels like, she got all the backlash from the episodes airing of people being like, this is stupid. I'm so sick of this storyline about the black guy. And I feel like this is her out. Oh no. I think that she's realizing that Andy would not put up with her refusing to say something on the reunion. Well, and so she went, well, my only out is to say, I don't remember. And we also find out that they were, did a whole investigation with what happened, Andy says there's no footage of like what actually happened, which I guess. But well, I mean, it's somebody's private home. It's not like they rigged the whole place with cameras. Those the cameras that were there were probably cameras that were um, used by the owners for like if they rent out the place for an Airbnb or sure. or Verbo or some, whatever app they use. And um, you know, it makes sense that they would have one on the door but not on the rest of the room because it is a bedroom. So I understand why they wouldn't, but they would have it on the door for security reasons. Yeah. I get that. Also in this segment, drink every time uh, when Heather starts talking, Lisa just goes, I wish you just said that. I wish you just said you blacked out. I wish you just said that from the beginning. I wish you just said that. She says it like eight times and it was like, to Oh my fa- God. Lisa. To be fair though, she keeps getting interrupted while she's trying to make her point. And her point is, you endangered a lot of people's reputations. That's true. And you, like, not just the people on this cast, but people in production. Like, you you put their jobs on the line. You put our reputations on the line. Like, this was a big lie. Yeah. And I think it's twofold. I think it's that element. And I also think from a viewer perspective, it's like, this... That's that's the explanation to like this big cliffhanger. This whole this yeah. can't be it. And the thing is, I think it has to be it because if Jen's not going to be back, she's I mean going to be in prison for six and a half years. Are we going to get a conclusion to the where we finally found out that Jen punched her? Because I do agree with you. I think that's where it is. I think Jen punched her, and Heather doesn't want to say it for whatever whatever reason. Well, because she knows full well that if she says something, then you know she'll 
she well i mean at this point she's already been sentenced yeah so i mean just say it <laughs> yeah honestly well but at the time she still had not been sentenced sure at the time like if that had happened you know somebody on the crew would have leaked the fact that that came out and it would have affected sentencing right well and also angie because they're asking them what they thought and angie k says at one point there was a dinner um uh when the, I think she said it was the Greek night when the producer, like a producer asked Heather, like, are you going to talk about the black eye? And she says that Jen turned to Heather and said, what are you going to say happened? Yeah. To that's me, that's super sus. It's like, really incriminating. I feel like that's why like Angie K like Angie K has receipts for a lot of things. I think in a way that while I do think she is a little trying it for television, at least she has stuff to back what she's saying up. Yeah. In many ways. Um, I also thought it was very odd when like Heather's like recounting um, uh, what she remembered, like the little things that she remembered from blacking out. She's like, the only thing I remember is that I said Marilyn died in the nude and then I flashed my titties. <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of like, I was like, okay. But it's, but it's also really convenient that she only remembers moments that were caught on camera. That's fair. I mean, maybe she it jogged her memory. But she remembers the moment where Jen picks up the wig, which is actually the next morning. Yeah. It's not the night before. Well, I think she, she keeps saying that the reason I was like being the like, well, someone knows or whatever, is that I was hoping that Whitney or someone who saw what happened or whatever would say something. Like she was like, I was doing it to try to get information to people. She was trying to goad people into to revealing what happened, which girl. It doesn't make sense to me. All I'm saying is that I mean it's not as offensive to Marilyn's legacy as that blonde movie, but like it was pretty bad for Heather to yeah. say that. Uh, just saying. Um, um and, and honestly, I'm just I'm kinda if they do re reboot this cast, like they shake it up, do whatever. I'm not mad at it. As long as we get to keep Lisa Barlow, I'm good. Yeah. Well, and then the big cliffhanger from this until the, until the second part of the reunion is uh, Angie K implying that she had heard around that Jen and Heather had a lesbian relationship or something. And it's like, okay, that's the cliffhanger. Oh, well. Either way. Um, well, let's move on to Real Housewives of Potomac this week. Because this episode of Potomac was, I mean, they're still in Mexico, but it is, it, it's getting really good. Yeah. This, this, a lot happens. Like we're only a couple more episodes till the reunion and it's like going by fast. Um, so speaking of going by fast, Salt Lake City was only, was a short season. Yeah. It was only like 13 episodes, I think. Yeah. So, you know, what, what can you do? I think you know, Bravo knows who to invest their time in, I guess. And I, think, I guess. And I think Potomac is one of those cases. Um, so we are uh, back at the hotel in Mexico. Everyone's, so, this episode's very interesting because it's really only like two scenes in this whole episode. Yep. Like just them at the hotel and then them at lunch. Um, but they're at the hotel sort of like decompressing and, and um, you know, getting together and Giselle and Mia are talking um, and they're planning Robin's bachelorette party that we're going to see next episode. Um, Giselle, and they're just talking about like, you know, the stuff with Karen from last night about, and, and just the, the boldness of Giselle just being like, well, Karen's clearly jealous of Sharice for what reason? I don't know. Karen's literally, Karen's literally like the focal point of the show. Um, and Sharice hasn't been on the show in five years. And, 
And then also to say, and then the Mia Wendy stuff comes up and she's like, well, Wendy's clearly jealous of you, Mia. What does Wendy have to be jealous of to be like, like this, this, this is the part where with Giselle just makes no sense in, in my yeah. mind. I will say this episode though, as much as I've been annoyed with Giselle this season did have some good funny moments with Giselle Yeah, where it was like, this, this is the Giselle I like, like the, the producers are also being really shitty and like emphasizing the fact that she has like bubble guts from the night before <laughs> and like, she's pulling bread out of her purse and eating it to you like, know what she, I don't, is it still, a th- I know when I was growing up, I always heard you don't drink the water in Mexico and I, I'm pretty I think that's sure still that that's thing. still a thing, but I, I also don't know. I also don't know if that was ever really a thing or if that was just like racist propaganda. Who I knows? Th- I, you know, we'll see. But Giselle, <laughs> they try to get on the bus later and, and, uh, Ashley's like, oh, we have quesadillas on the bus. And Giselle's like, bus I am not eating a bus quesadilla. That is deplorable. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so those are the moments of Giselle I like. And then, um, Karen and Ashley are talking at the pool about, oh, the, Lord. Ni- about the night before. And Karen is really upset about particularly how Robin came for her at the dinner, said she made it really personal. Um, and that these were like personal attacks against her. Um, and then Karen basically says, okay, if we're going to do that, then gloves off. Cause I'm going to bring up the fact that, um, she says that Juan, uh, has another woman. Uh, that he uh, takes around Georgetown, I believe, is the area in Potomac where mm-hmm. he takes her around allegedly, and that it's a blonde woman that looks just like her. And then the oh, the the editors. <laughs> what do you think? Did this like shady, like negative line drawing of uh, Karen with like a blonde, awful, awful blonde bimbo wig, <laughs> and it was just like y'all some shady oh. I love that you say it's a blonde bimbo wig, but it's literally just the hair she was wearing in her confessional. Well, but what I mean is that the 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 way that they they colored it in with like a highlighter yeah. and it made it look like it was like some like a Barbie wig. <laughs> it was so bad. It was bad. But so she's telling this to Ashley and Ashley's like sort of trying to get information and stuff like that. And Ashley makes a good point of like so cuz this is the big topic of the episode is like the whole wand stuff. And like I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And Ashley kind of spoke to that because Ashley in the past has brought up possible cheating stuff to uh, Robin about Juan in past seasons. The well, and he cheated before. That's why they got the divorce. Yeah. The famous uh, when Robin and Giselle confronted her in that kangaroo restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but so Ashley being Ashley goes and, try, and starts telling <laughs> this. like, don't tell anybody about this. And I want I want like, to talk to Robin myself. Ashley's and, like, well, you know, it's real hard for me to keep a secret. So literally, Karen goes upstairs to get her hat, and Ashley literally walks over to the bar and goes, "You know what I heard?" Yeah. So, but that's the thing is that this is Ashley's game. Like Candace said it this episode, like she can't, she cannot hold a secret longer than she can hold her bladder. To be fair though, Karen knows this and I think she planted that on purpose. Well, that's what I was going to ask is that like Karen knows that Ashley would take that tea. And I think, I, I wonder if that, like you wouldn't necessarily think it was the smartest move because you would think if you were Karen, you would want to spring that on Robin. Yes, but I, the reason I believe that she did it on purpose, number one, Karen's not a stupid woman. No, she's very smart, very methodical. 
everything she does is thought out. Two, she didn't even address the fact that Ashley leaked that at the table later when it comes up. She literally just rolled right into it. Rolled right into it. It's like, you planned this. You knew this would come up at this table today. Yeah. So they uh, decide to go out shopping a little bit in Mexico. Um, and then eventually Ashley pulls Robin aside to tell her. After she spread the rumor around the entire rest of the cast. Basically. And then she tells this to Robin. And I don't know what you thought of Robin's reaction. I, you know, I think it's part of it is you know, reading into certain things, but that's what we do watching these shows. It definitely seemed like a reaction. Where she did that whole kind of laugh, but it was a very much a laugh that could be like overcompensating. Maybe, maybe. And then she calls Juan. Oh, so yes. She rings up Juan to tell him. And Juan is pissed from the get go. Loses it. Is like screaming into the phone. I'm saying, I'm going to cuss these women out and I'm going to, you know. Um, At least he didn't threaten violence. Well, yeah. But, I mean, the way he was talking, I mean, there's been, you know, when I don't want to get into the whole Giselle Monique stuff, but that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. But I don't know. I just feel like that reaction was a lot for somebody when if it was just this, like, innocuous. Because they keep also making the point of, like, really someone who looks like, like, Juan would be with someone who's, like, as old as Karen, basically, is what you know, they're implying. And it's like, if it's that ridiculous, why is Juan so upset? And, but, but there's also this discussion of like, I can't tell with Juan from the time that he's been on this show. Is it, is this Juan or is this because Juan doesn't like to be in front of a camera? I know that that's been alluded to. Um, and I also know that I, I could understand why he's upset. Like, because there is the the stigma of black men cheating. Sure. And so I can understand why he's upset that that is being applied to him. Um, in past discretions, notwithstanding. Because people can change, I People feel. can change. But, like, I can understand if this is not true, why he would be that upset. Because it's like, man, I climbed out of all of this bullshit to make a name for myself and do do something with my life. And this petty bullshit is just sitting here trying to pull me down. And that's what he basically tells Robin is like, they're trying to rip apart everything that we are. Like, they are trying to come for everything that we have. And it's like, I get it. But also, like, at the same time, this is, like, the least accusation that's been thrown around this season. Sure. Like, but when, when uh, Chris is over here getting accused of, like, manhandling people and, yeah. um, like, trying to... with Giselle. Like, yeah. it's, yeah, it's not... It's not the same, but I can understand why the context is different for him. And I just feel like there's a, we've seen it a couple of times this, uh, across the seasons of Potomac where it's just like, he gets real frustrated and just either leaves or does this big, like, you know, he had that one hot muck moment where, uh, he was like, I, if it wasn't for the kids, I wouldn't be here right now. And it's like, 
And that's why I've always been trepidatious of them getting remarried because it just feels weird. But also based on like we get into it later with this whole discussion with Karen and Robin. But it seems like what Karen's also implying is that Robin knows what's happening and is seemingly either fine with it or is, you know. Which I've said it before and I will say it again. Stay out of people's marriages. I I agree. If they have an arrangement, it ain't none of your business. So let's get to that point. So they get back to the table. And uh, like you said, Karen immediately sits down. Robin's mad, but Karen just immediately starts going in. And I think part of the frustration, though, too, is that it's just a buildup of what Karen's feeling about this whole Sharice stuff and Mm -hmm. about this sort of concerted effort from the Green Eyed Bandits to bring this stuff out about Karen and Blue Eyes and all that stuff. Which has been since season one. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's not like it's, you know, new scintillating tea necessarily Um, this tea is cold it has gone dry in the cup it has stained it's still like why is it still here yeah pour that out wash the cup but karen says that uh robin's marriage is fake and this or the the wedding is uh is fake uh and they kind of get into that regard and the whole time giselle is just trying to pipe up for robin in the background and karen is just ripping into just (laughs) Like she, the, the, what did she say? The, um, uh, you're not even anywhere close to an altar, <laughs> yeah. Giselle. You can shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like Giselle really should have just kept sat there and eaten like she does, which she, like she, Giselle. Well, co- she needed to be on the episode. Yeah. But she does a real good job of just like sort of setting tea and setting like drama and then just sitting back and eat, like literally eating. I'm like, like she loves to just do that. But like. She's got, she's got to make her keep. And then, so when Robin's been holding on to this photo um, that apparently six months ago Giselle got, which to me only aids to this idea that this has been a concerted effort going into the season, but whatever, um, of Karen, or, well, we don't know it's Karen, but it's a woman from behind who looks like Karen. Because they keep, they keep making that emphasis of like, you don't see Karen's face. In the, we don't see the photo. First yeah, of all. it's all blurred. Well, no, they're not even blurred. They don't even show it to the audience. No, they do. They they show it over. You can see oh, it over someone's shoulder. That's fair. Um, and it's completely blurred. And um, I know we were talking about this offline, but that is because since Karen um does not say that it says that it's not her. Yeah. And they don't have a release from the other person in the photo either they can't show that legally they can't show it because the people in that photo have not signed a release to be on camera right and robin's just passing the phone around the table to everyone but karen and karen's like can i see it and robin's just like nope (laughs) (laughs) which i thought was really funny but and um but my from my understanding of the photo it just doesn't seem like it seems like he karen's just if this is to be karen is just with this person at a bar. But then she almost kind of cops to it. Almost kind of says, well, I mean, yeah, I was in Vegas and there were some people with uh, Redskins. Is that Redskins jerseys, yeah. But it's like, that's my other thing. Where it's like, her is she cuddling on this person? Is she being intimate with this person? Even if that's her in the picture, unless they make it out or like grabbing on each other, like, this doesn't prove anything. Because what we're to be believed of blue eyes, which is the big accusation, is that this is also Karen's driver. This is the same person that she's been accused of being with since season one. Right. So it's like, 
can she not be in a photograph with another man at this point? That's not to get into the other stuff that we've talked about in the show, which is just like, I think it's pretty much an open secret that Karen's allowed to have arm candy and whatever. Yeah. And I think Ray's okay with it. And so they've talked about it on camera. It's not even an open secret. They have talked about the fact that she is allowed to have arm candy to take to events and things like that. Because yeah. Ray doesn't want to go to that shit. He's old. The man's <laughs> tired. He's in bed by 8 p.m. Oh, my God. <laughs> He don't want to go to this shit. Oh, jeez. But yeah, yeah. So um, he's taking his prune juice by seven, and he's in bed by eight. Done. So Karen keeps bringing up the blonde woman that looks like her, and Candace and Wendy both say that they've also heard this rumor before because apparently it's a rumor that's been going on in the blogs and stuff like that. But then it transitions into Karen bringing up this. Th this is the, also the part that I thought was really calculated on Karen through the season and good honor, um, which is that she brings up that there was a moment at the season four reunion where Andy asked Robin and Juan about possibilities of a threesome as like a joke. And then and Robin's like, no, of course not. And then Juan says like, why? You want to spice things up every once in a while. And everyone laughs. And Karen's like, that's funny. Um, and then she says that in the after party for that reunion, um, Juan comes up to him, to Karen, and hugs her in a way that's very tight. To the way she said that, she said it was so tight that her breasts went back to her collarbone. No, uh, no, her spine. Her spine. And that Juan said something along the lines of, I want you to be the third in the threesome. Now, Karen brought up that a husband had did had hugged her in this way back when Giselle was talking about the stuff with Chris earlier in the season, but she didn't say specifically who. And Giselle says in her confessional this episode, I thought she was talking about Michael Darby. Um, but come to find out, she's talking about Juan. Now, what I will say is, I think if this played out as, as Karen said, I'm sure what Juan said was a joke. Like, I don't think he meant that seriously. It was probably like a callback joke to what he said at the reunion, and everyone laughed at the reunion, so he figured it'd be a funny joke. I'm not saying that he had malicious intent at all by that. But for Giselle to, in her confessional, be like, Karen, you're being ridiculous. Juan don't want to get with you. You know, trying to write this off when it, it's just so hypocritical on Giselle's part to act as though because Karen's a certain age or because, you know, one didn't have a certain intention that therefore it's not the same of a same kind of offense when she's expecting exactly the same when it comes to the Chris stuff. Yeah. And honestly, like, honestly, if the one thing is worse in the sense that one was explicit if, and said something explicit as opposed to Chris, who was just in, in a the room, vicinity in a room with you alone who, and did nothing specific that you can name. So I, if that was Karen like playing the long game on this, that was really smart on her end because she made Giselle look stupid. Yeah. Um, so they kind of, you know, they don't reconcile anything at the dinner or at the lunch, I should say. And then uh, Giselle's like, I'm bored, so let's transition to me and Jacqueline. Um, and honestly, I was kind of indifferent on their issues for most of the season. I'm kind of on Jacqueline's side now. Yeah, Mia's been treating her kind of like a, a doormat. Honestly, Mia's been really not great. To, well, not great in terms of her behavior. She's been great in terms of drama. Oh, yes. yes. Great Fabulous. For the show. Um, but, like, as in a 
quality of person. Like I'm not enjoying like the way she's treating people this yeah, season. It's just like if this was any other person, but if this was somebody that you knew for 30 years who like, you know, took her, her family took Mia in as a foster child and like, Jacqueline brings this up like really upset about like yeah. I've known you for 30 years and all this stuff and I defend you with the whole cancer no cancer thing you know my mother took you in as a child and Mia then makes a comment of like well, well that that's funny because I said who spent Mother's Day with your mother me not you and like Jacqueline's just like done at this point and I also think the thing that annoys me about this is that it feels like Mia I think throughout this season Mia so desperately wants to be a green eye bandit Mia so desperately wants to get in with Giselle and Robin. Yeah. And I've been in those situations before where it's like you have a, if you've ever been in a situation where you have a close friend and then that friend brings you into a separate friend group that either they're trying to get into or et cetera. And then they kind of either neg you or, you know, shade you in front of the group to sort of like get their way in. Yeah. Like that feels like that's what's happening. And and we it also feels that way in the sense that Jacqueline storms off and immediately Mia's just like, so Wendy, I want to apologize to you now. Like out of nowhere. Oh yeah. She's like, oh but, well, I mean, she had mentioned it in confessions earlier the in the episode, sure. but we know the confessions are uh taped after the fact. Um but she does mention it earlier in the episode in the confessional, and um you know, she says, you know, Wendy, I just, I really want to like you because you're super successful and you're like, you've done a lot of really good work and a lot of great things. Um, and I really want, and I really respect you. And so I, I really want to be friends with you. And, and Wendy, um, in a moment of graciousness, because Mia did not deserve this, um, says, okay, We'll sit down. We'll have our talk. Yeah, and then they go to their room uh, later uh, in the night and sort of have a more uh, deeper conversation about it. And Mia apologizes for throwing the drink and all that. And it just feels... I I think Wendy was just like, okay, I'm going to see how... Like, I think she was very much like, I'm going to let you, you know, sort of do what you're trying to do here at whatever point. I don't know if I believe it. (laughs) Because it just seemed out of complete nowhere. Yeah. And... And and let her do what she did. But we mentioned before also the like the not having cameras in certain places. And so we get this with the the end, which is that they kind of rush through the night, the final night in Mexico. Which this is like the third time that they've done this on Potomac. Yeah, where they they just talk in confessionals um, about how they they went out for the night and everybody was drinking and they were at the club. And well, we see a little bit of the dinner beforehand, mm-hmm. but like it's very like rushed and packaged together because they don't have enough time. Yeah, it's montaged. It's not. Clearly, the producers were like, there's nothing super interesting here, so let's just get through this. Um, but they're all seemingly having fun. Even Karen and Giselle are laughing together and all that stuff. I didn't see Robin at the table, which I thought was interesting. Um, but then they go out to the club and this is all, like you said, this is all in confessionals and, and like some like phone camera stuff that we're seeing and that they're getting drunk. <laughs> and according to Ashley, like at a certain point, they're just like flashing each other, their skirts to show them that they aren't wearing panties, which like I thought gay men in clubs were disgusting. <laughs> like that is like a, like beyond level. I mean, uh, we won't get into what happens in gay clubs with amongst gay men, it's, but um, it's, it's too much for uh, uh, this kind of a podcast. I mean, this is rated explicit content uh, podcast just because we don't want to have to watch our language. But whew, that's even 
more salacious than I'm willing to go into. But, but then uh, Wendy drops the tea is the cliffhanger of the episode that at a certain point in the night, Mia leans over to her. She says she uh, um, saunters over to her, right? <laughs> and sends, I think so. And says, um, I want to eat your box. Woo! That given very Real Housewives of Atlanta season nine. <laughs> Come on, uh, Portia. Oh God! And that's where we leave off into this episode. That is quite the cliffhanger as we go into next week with Robin's bachelorette party. And then we found out that from people that we're going to get footage from the wedding with Robin and Juan on the on believe on the finale episode. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. There's a lot of dialogue online. Um, of people sort of claiming things and we'll see how that plays out. Um, but right now we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about everything from this week's episode of real housewives of Miami. We'll be right back. Well, hello friends. I'm your pal in the mainstream media. And, and I'm the Riz. And you know, Riz, it takes years of strenuous, dedicated training before you're worthy to step inside a professional wrestling ring. But it takes even more time to develop complex, highly astute opinions about professional wrestling. Am I right? That is correct. Yes. And you know where we can find that? Yes. On the wrestling man. That's right. Sidekick Media Services. We are your sidekick in business for social media, video production, and more. Find out more at SidekickMediaServices.com. Welcome back to A Gay and His NB. Uh, we are heading into Real Housewives of Miami uh, for our final segment here. What an episode this This was my favorite episode of the season. Uh, honestly. This was such a good, like, just up and down in terms of across this episode. We, um, we start things off kind of with the tail end of what happened at Nicole and Anthony's um, right. engagement party. And Nicole kind of reading Alexia for defending Larsa for making those comments. Nicole's just been on point this whole season, I feel. Oh, completely. 100%. And then they, uh, Nicole sort of tapers off. And all the other women are sort of sitting together at the table. And then um, we get into sort of this further stuff with Alexia and Adriana as Adriana's uh, boyfriend comes up and sits with these other women. This guy is an asshole. Like, I, yeah. he was kind of non-existent for most of these episodes. I mean, I mean, obviously, there's all this discussion about whether or not he was married. But I, I honestly feel Alexia was doing this out of the being a friend and saying, like, I've heard this stuff just so I honestly, cause Alexia and Adriana really before this season didn't have any issues. Yeah. But that's not how it came off. Like to me, it definitely came off as, um, you know, trying to drudge stuff up, trying to make, you know, a big deal about it. If it wasn't, if it was something about her being a big deal or her trying to be a friend, she would have pulled her aside and not made it a big thing in the group. Sure. Like, I, this is the equivalent to her plopping down a Bluetooth speaker and playing her, her Instagram live to the table. I think, this like, is, I think that's the problem with Housewives in general. It's just like, in any other scenario, it's like, this would be something you would do off camera. But, I mean, you could still do it on camera, but, like, you don't do it in the middle of the group. Like, I understand doing it on camera because, like, contracts, like, you got to do what you got to do. Sure. But, you know, you pull somebody aside and say, hey, like... I have heard this guy's still married. 
and I've looked up his thing, and the the Miami Dade records say he's still married. And then they could have squashed it right there by scrolling to the bottom of the screen. <laughs> That we get that later in the ep- in the episode, but it was just like, oh my god, Alexia, really? You didn't scroll down to the bottom. Um, but so, but before that, so they get into the. This is why I think he was an asshole. So like, just like to be fair, I understand where he's coming from, but I also am like, you don't. But you don't I, talk to people I, like that. I think Adriana was revving him up too, in terms of the, how much yeah. she had been talking about how this was Alexia being shady and all that stuff. So he just starts off by being like giving a cheers and saying, Cheers to staying out of people's fucking business. Just first introduction with these women. And Alexia, Alexia plays it off really well and she's like, Look, I don't know you from like whatever. And then he pulls out his marriage or uh, divorce decree or whatever. And I think where he got where it just started was he goes, look, here's the divorce decree. Can you read? Are you able to read? Like to, to, to try to I, insult her. I don't believe he was trying to insult her. Really? I believe he was because it was dark. It was dark in there. Cause he also mentioned, do you need glasses? If you listen to what he says, he mentions, do you need your glasses? He's just being considerate in terms of the, <laughs> I, I think he was doing it shadily. I think he was being shady, but I don't think he was being a jerk. There's a difference. You can be playful, shady. And I don't think he was necessarily being playful about it, but he was also like being pointed like, look, here it is. Like, yeah. I get that. Like, you need to read it. Do you, like, do you and need your glasses to read it? Like, I need you to read this and we can squash this right here because I'm done with dealing with this. And then what I will say is that I was more on Alexia's side in the beginning until we found out that she didn't scroll to the bottom of that thing. Yeah. At that point, I'm like, okay, this is your like, you're, girl. You, you literally have egg on your face at this point. Um, uh, so, uh, like this man has literally been divorced since 2019 and like you're accusing him now of stepping out on his wife. Like I can understand the anger, but I think it's, I think it also comes from a fact of like, it's not unlike a lot of men in Miami and a lot of men that have been around this group. Particularly. Sure. But if you're not that kind of person, I can understand that you're like, no, I'm not. I'm sure that's not me. Like stop lumping me in with everybody else. Yeah. So, and uh, speaking of Alexia, she uh, decides that she's going to organize this uh, lunch at her apartment or at her condo um, to get the women together with two marriage lawyers, because a lot of them have been having worries after the Lisa stuff. And they've had personal discussions of just like, do I need to be protected? What do I need to do in case of a scenario like this, et cetera. So Alexia is organizing this. And but before that, Nicole is having a conversation with a friend of hers who's um, a therapist who we had seen on the show before to talk about sort of the stuff with her dad. Ugh, I, this irritated me. I it irritated me as well because we kind of mentioned it before about how Nicole's dad is not the best. I agreed with the therapist in the point of like one of the big sticking points for Nicole was sort of his young girlfriends that he constantly has around and that he's bringing them to family events and that it's becoming an issue. And, and I understand that from that regard, especially in the way that Nicole describes these women, which are like, he's clearly like in his sixties and seventies. And these are women in their twenties. Um, the way Nicole described it is like women who would like probably burn his house down. Um, but I understand the therapist being like, he clearly made some form of an effort by not bringing anyone because this is something that you have vocalized that this is an issue for you. And I understood that element of it. Um, I don't, I think it's still a two way street. I think that he needs to make more effort. And I think putting this on Nicole and sort of 
I don't think she should be guilted in any way. Right. I mean, we have discussed many times that when it comes to a parent-child relationship, it does not matter how old that child is. It is the parent's job to make sure that that relationship is healthy. Yeah. That child had no choice in being in that situation. It does not matter what's happening. That parent needs to make sure that that child is, is happy with them. If they want a relationship. And I mean, if they don't want a relationship, fine. Like, burn the bridge. But, like, you can't expect the child to put all the effort in and to make all the um, sacrifices. concessions and sacrifices and, you know, compromises on what they will put up with. Like, Nicole has put her boundary in place. And, um, like, her dad seems to be making strides, but maybe not enough for her. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay for her to say, I'm done. Yeah. And even if boundaries. her dad is trying to do better, and even if he does become the person that she wants him to be, to be, it is still perfectly fine for Nicole to go, it's been too much. It's too far gone. I'm done. Yeah. I agree. So we then get into Alexia's lunch. <laughs> this was my favorite scene of like... All of Housewives this this year. Well, uh, the year just started. So chaotic. This was so fun. The minute that Marisol like is like sipping her like wine or whatever, it's like this is too sweet, and then pours vodka. In. <laughs> I knew this was about to get, go off. Um, Alexia and um, Adriana get into it. That Alexia felt that uh, Alexia or Adriana's boyfriend disrespected her and stuff like that. Um, they started fighting as the marriage counselors or, or the uh, marriage lawyers are coming in. <laughs> Oh, these poor lawyers. Oh, it was so good. They were just like smiling and getting like. It, he even tried to step in a few times to like calm people down and it was not working. Well, the best part about this whole scene was they eventually sit down in their living room and like they're fielding questions or whatever. And it's just like an opportunity for these women to be super passive aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> like Adriana is just like, um, can you look at this uh, divorce decree and see if this is fit? like, <laughs> <laughs> and then Nicole just being like, Hey, do you have any, um, uh, in cases of slander and, and libel, how somebody can be like right in front of Lars? It's like, that's not his area of expertise. That's not what he does. <laughs> this was, we thought the, um, we thought the disinvitation last week was like Nicole's like amazing moment. When Nicole got up out of her seat, grabbed her purse, pulled, pulled out, out her, her credit Amex. card, and was like, here, I'm paying you for your time now. That was a, a game-defining Housewives moment for me. Uh, they're filming the reunion so right now, good. and Nicole is first seated at the reunion, and she has earned that shit this season. Oh, yeah. I was so gagged by that. Marisol was gagged. Everyone was gagged. Um, I loved also them just... Four or five people just screaming at each other across the room. And Frankie, uh, Alexia's son, just in the balcony, just being like, these women are freaking crazy. Like, he literally says something to a producer that's up there. It's like, they're being really loud. <laughs> like, they had to, like, they they had to put it in captions on the bottom of the screen because you could barely hear him because of how loud they were being. It was so intense and so back and forth. And then Marisol, not trying to defuse it whatsoever, is just like, hey, guys, stop. Everyone stop for a second. Nicole, I have the evidence <laughs> sleeping around. Like, that's not the point, Marisol. That's not going to defuse anything. But then she says, like, her evidence isn't even really evidence, which is that she got a DM from someone saying that Nicole had been with this guy um, while they were residents 
at the hospital. Right. But this is at a time in when Nicole and Anthony were separated. So Nicole was dating other people, but also the, beyond the fact that like, like this is also a resident, not the entire doctors in the hospital, which was lo- what Lars's accusation was. You know, um, I don't know if you know this, but housewives are tend to be prone to um, hyperbole and yes. exaggeration. Um, yeah. They're, they're big fans. Um, and then uh, Lisa starts to sort of ask questions about her situation um, or, or about Sally. Would, would it Marisol use the term Sally like, and my, Harry? My friend Sally and Harry are going through this issue. Um, and I also thought, I think the advice was really well and sort of like well put in terms of like what Lisa's rights are, what, you know, is a fair offer in terms of something like that. And what her next steps need to be as like in terms of taking inventory of everything, moving it out of the house, things that, you know, are hers and don't need to be caught up in the divorce. She needs to get out of the house and it needs to be inventoried and so having, that she knows if it disappears. And having an, if you're going to have Lenny move you out to a house, having, you know, within the trust where, not only the kids benefit from it, but that there's certain details in it to where you're protected and you're getting, you know, you're, you're not going to be screwed in the end. And not, there's not like limitations on, well, nobody else is allowed to live there. Like if she remarries, it's like, you know, like yeah. all of those sorts of things. So, um, you know, that is the end of that uh, dinner slash lunch slash whatever that was. <laughs> slash battle. Um, um, but then that transitions back to Lisa's house and Lenny is at the house. Um, this scene was like... Gut-wrenching? Th- really gut-wrenching and really just real and honest in terms of everything going... Because Lisa's with the kids at her house and then Lenny comes... Lenny doesn't even talk to her. Just goes straight up to his room. Um, very, very cold. Um, and Lisa kind of goes into more depth of like how the kids are handling things about how her son is asking a lot of questions, how her daughter has just been super angry and like, and you see it on like her daughter, like acting out and stuff like, like literally that. slaps her. Yeah. And she's like, I, I can't even be mad at her. Like, yeah, I have to discipline her in the moment, but like, I can't even be really upset because like, she's acting out because all of the stress in the house, like I get it. Like I understand. And also just talking about like the, the the questions her son is asking, not just in terms of like their marriage about their love for each other, but like not knowing where they're going to live. Like, are they going to stay in this house anymore? Like a child, cause I think her child's at least like maybe five or six. Yeah. Like, I don't think that like, that is something where it's like, you're putting a pressure on a child. And to me, it's Lenny doing this. Cause I, we don't know everything. We don't, you know, we only know Lisa's narrating most of it. Cause she's on the show, obviously. Yeah, so but we're going to get most of her the side. actions that we've seen him take on camera. And I think it's just such a contrast in terms of like what we saw of Lisa as Lenny is like ignoring her and like just hiding out in his bedroom. Like Lisa actually parenting and Lisa actually yeah. taking care of the children. I don't think that's from what we've seen more different. Oh, and Lisa, I forgot about this. Lisa brought up at the Nicole's thing at the beginning that Lisa, uh, that Lenny's mother was over at the house with the kids. Oh yeah. And he just like cursed out his mother at one point and told her to and, get the fuck out. And said, I never want to see you again and kicked his mom and dad out. And apparently did this in front of the kids. Oh yeah. Which is like, that is oh, just. And a friend that was over, like there was multi, like it wasn't just her. There was like a play date with other people's kids. Kids. It's just like, to me, I, I, I'm not a, a 
custody expert, but to me, a judge has to be looking at something like that and being, and you know, it can't be looking favor on Lenny in terms of custody, in terms of that kind of aspect. Well, and it makes me question what's going on with Lenny because you don't turn on everybody without there being some underlying something. And that's not to excuse what he's doing right. at all. Um, but something else is going on here. And um, I, for the kids' sake, I hope it gets resolved soon. Yeah. And so Lisa goes up to the bedroom um, towards the end, and she tells him, like, the cam- the, uh, they're filming me and I have a mic on, just so you know. And I think she's trying to get um, a check for the nanny. Yeah. And and they just get into discussing things, and we hear the mic picking up everything Lenny's saying. And this was just so gaslighty of Lenny being like, I'm just trying to give you, like, basically, because this is all about Lisa leaving the house and getting a new house. Like, you should be grateful for everything that I've done to make this easy for you. I'm trying to, I think his exact words were, I'm trying to get you more than you even deserve. Disgusting. And it's just like, this is just, like, so manipulative and... I think it's just a test. I like, could there be a both sides to this story? Maybe, but I think just from what we're seeing with our own eyes, it's really a testament to Lenny's character in this regard. And, and you know, you just feel for Lisa in terms of everything she's going through. Um, and, and hope that, you know, she's a really good, you know, um, hopefully hero of this story. Cause you're really, I think a lot of the audience is really rooting for her. Yeah. I mean, I, I really am looking forward to, um, hopefully some resolve with all of this. And once we get to the reunion, I hope we hear how things have gotten better in this situation, yeah. but only time is going to tell. And last but not least, we have our tops and bottoms of the week. Um, Eamon, what are you feeling this week? We have a, f- a fun week of shows this week. Um, my top for this week, you know what? I'm going to give it to Nicole. Nicole's really impressed me on Miami. And I think, you know, we do, I think not Sid Sutton have we seen like a real like high level housewives performance from like somebody new. I think she can, you know, I think she's secured her spot there for a long time to come. I think she's, um, stands true to what she believes in. I think she's not afraid to get confrontational when she needs to and balance it really well. And I really love everything that she's doing over on Miami. Um, my bottom for this week. Hmm. Can I give it to just Salt Lake city in general? Uh, yeah, I think we've been very negative on Salt Lake city this week and there's gotta be some change that needs to be made. I don't know if it's revamping the whole cast. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's putting it on pause. God, I hope not. Um, but yeah, something needs to change when it comes to that formula over there. How about you? Um, my top of the week is probably going to be, um, probably going to be Karen, mm. uh, Karen Huger. Um, she pretty much orchestrated that entire episode <laughs> to be what it was, um, and. She did so flawlessly. She dropped that nugget to Ashley. Ashley ran off like a good little bone carrier, <laughs> carried it to the rest of the group. And like it was flawlessly done. Beautiful. This is how you this is how you do reality television. And, you know, this is why she will always be the Grand Dame of Potomac. Made up for that terrible snatch game, too. Uh-huh. And I'd say that my bottom for the week is definitely Lenny. Oh, Fuck yeah. that guy. Fuck Lenny. 
Like, fuck that guy. Like, literally. Worst guy. Like, I, like, uh, definitely, he keeps moving up my list for worst house husband. And I think by the end of the season, he's going to be the top of that list. Oh, for sure. Well, bottom of that list. Whatever. (laughs) Big old bottom. (laughs) Big old bottom. Hey, thanks for joining us this week on A Gay and His Envy. Tune in next week for more of our recaps and hot takes. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening. And check us out on our social media at A Gay and His Envy on all the platforms. A special shout out to Shane Ivers who wrote Pulsar, the song we're using for our theme. For my husband, Eamon, I'm Merlin, and we're out. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com. 